a lot of times we hear, well, I don't have the background, so I'm not capable. I don't have money, so I can't do this. Those, yes, I, those are very valid reasons not to start something. But I remember thinking, you know, I'm just going to start. I still had my full-time job and I kept my full-time job until a month ago. I'm just going to start. And it started in my kitchen, mixing up ingredients, getting flowers, getting seasonings, thinking about my mom's salsa de chipotle and thinking, how can I recreate that flavor? Y hacer un sabor chipotle. How can I recreate the lime snacks that we have all the time? So it really started with very basic things, feeling that I wasn't capable, but doing things that started making me feel capable. From being inexperienced to making yourself capable. I love that snippet from Regina Trillo, founder and CEO of Nemi Snacks. Nemi Snacks are these crunchy sticks made from seeds and nopales. Some might know them as prickly pear cactus in Mexican-inspired flavors. My favorite is Mexican lime. But there's also smoky chipotle, chile turmeric, and churro. And... Let me tell you a little bit about why Regina even decided to start a crunchy snack business. Originally from Mexico City and now based in Chicago, Regina felt sorely underrepresented, misrepresented the moment she stepped foot in American grocery stores. She found well-established brands portraying Mexican cultura in a stereotypical way. Brands that were unlikely to upgrade their ingredient list and innovate in the marketplace. So despite her background as a lawyer, she started Nemi Snacks, which was founded with a mission to elevate Mexican cultura in the U.S. through high-quality Mexican snacks in sombrero-free branding, as she calls it. Nemi Snacks works directly with Mexican farmers, uses real chiles and spices with no artificial colors or ingredients, so you won't get that residue on your fingers, that coloring. And Regina has spent her legal career really advocating for human rights by providing legal services to immigrants and implementing those programs on a range of global human rights issues in Latin America, the Caribbean, Africa, and the United States, which absolutely transcends to the NEMI brand, which is why I'm so excited to share this interview with you today. This is Regina Trillo, founder and CEO of NEMI Snacks. No te lo quieres perder. You're listening to Moneda Moves, a podcast where we cover the intersection of money and cultura. I'm your host, Leon Alfaro, a Latina award-winning journalist, producer, and strategist. On this podcast, I highlight Latinos who are building in the world of business, our relationships with money, and contributions to the American economy. Here, we will increase transparency around our dinero issues and achievements of our community, as well as our POC peers, to inspire you to pursue your financial poder. Join me weekly during this season as we cover stories with our communities front and center alongside entrepreneurs and innovators. No te lo quieres perder. Hola, hola, buenos dias, and welcome back to another episode of Moneda Moves. Today, I am so excited for the interview because we have joining us a fellow Chicagoan y Mexicana, también Regina Trillo, founder and CEO of Nemi Snacks, those delicious, crunchy, nopal-based snacks that if you haven't had the pleasure to have, you must. Thank you so much, Regina, for joining us. Thank you, Leanne. It's such a pleasure to be with you. So thank you so much for the invite and sharing your space with me. Yeah, no, I mean, and I'm so eager to hear more about these snacks that you've created, Nemi Snacks, and from such a 
wonderful plants that is very common in our Mexican culture. I think that one of the first things that drew me to the branding of Nemi Snacks was the fact that there was like a, no, a nopal planted on the cover. And I yes. was like, wow. <laughs> uh, para mi, uh, one of my, my the, the quotes that has stuck the most that is indicative of my Mexicanness is when my, I was growing up, my parents used to tell me, traes el nopal en la frente. Uh, ¿Sí? that, that, that for, <laughs> for people listening, for people listening, how would you describe that saying? Because I have my own interpretation for sure. Yes. Or we usually also say, más mexicana que el nopal. Mm. Too, where it is, I mean, nopales, it's such a staple element of Mexican culture. And, and it, I mean, it starts with, do you know the story of nopales? Do you know the legend, the myth of nopales? I, I don't. But for our non-Spanish speakers, I do want to say, we, we mentioned two big expressions in Mexican culture. One yeah. of them, traes el nopal en la frente, means you have a nopal on your forehead. A cactus, yes. a, a prickly pear is what they call it in the U.S., but a no, nopal leaf on your forehead. And you and the expression you said, más mexicana que nopal, more Mexican than a cactus leaf. These are both expressions to say, like, even if you wanted to try to not be Mexican, you're 100% Mexican. You Mexican. People can tell. Yes. From a mile away. But tell us about the origin story of the nopal because you've done so much research on this. Thank you. So nopales, they date back to the Aztecs, the Aztec civilization in Mexico, the indigenous civilization. And the story is that at some point the, the Aztecs got a message saying, you will reach the city, which is the Nochtitlan, which is Mexico City now. The moment you see a serpent, um, an eagle, sorry, devouring a serpent, on top of a nopalera. The nopalera is a plant with the paddles, with the nopal paddles. The moment you see that symbol, that means that's where you're going to settle and start your city. And the story goes that the Aztecs were walking in Texcoco, nearby Mexico City, and they kept walking and walking, and they saw the nopal with an eagle on top devouring um, serpent, Como digo también serpent, eh, snake. A uh, snake. Mm -hmm. Right? Is, is it also a serpent? A serpent, a snake. I think they're in the same family. Yeah. So, and they saw this, and that's where, that's where the Nochtitlan came to be, which then, be, you know, it's now part of Mexico City. And that element also came to be a symbol of the Mexican flag. If you look at the Mexican flag, you see the, los, the, the three colors. And in the middle, in the white, middle part, you see exactly that same symbol of element. So it is, it is representative of our culture. It is the most sustainable Mexican plant. It thrives in hot weather. It needs very little water to survive because in, it's in the cacti family. So it's a cousin, yo siempre digo, la prima del aloe y, y todas estas, because they, they capture all the water. So they're very resilient plants. And it's this resilience also that it's indicative of not only the plant itself and its sustainability properties or sustainable properties, but of our culture, where it's always about in the harshest conditions, in conditions where no other plants will grow, will thrive, we will figure it out. We adapt, we thrive, we stand up, we keep going, we keep showing up. So it was all these different elements of nutritious, so it's packed with fiber, minerals, antioxidants. Of course, in our product, we have to get rid of the moisture. But in Mexico, it's used because of its fiber. Um, it's used to control sugar also, even though I don't really, you know, advertise it in that way. We use it topically. Um, 
It's great for hangovers too. A very I did not know that actually. Do. Oh yeah, in Mexico if you have a hangover the next day, you make a jugo de nopal with pineapple, lime, and spinach or anything else and it's because it has so much moisture and potassium, you feel like ready for la siguiente fiesta. Look at that. The more the more you know, folks can add it to their list uh, following the pozole and the menudo. I love the um, the metaphor that you use where you say, you know, Mexicans are like a nopal in the desert. And I can't think of a better way to describe Latino entrepreneurs and the way that we have appeared in the news. I'm making this correlation because this is this is the way we are in many aspects of life, but definitely in entrepreneurship. Y quiero saber the nopal, the the cactus leaf, the prickly pear, what role did it play in your upbringing? Because you are from Mexico City proper. Is that right? Yes. I grew up in Mexico City and I moved here 12 years ago. I moved to Chicago 12 years ago. So I grew up eating nopales pretty much every other day. It was very common in my family to the weekends go to El Mercado. Everything in my household revolved around food. We were thinking about lunch while we were having breakfast. We were thinking about what's for dinner while we were having lunch. In my my aunts, my uncles, my mom, my brother, we all cook. And it was there was such a passion for cooking that it even went beyond gender stereotypes, right? So it was something that it was exposed to females and males in the household. And I, I always say nopales to the family and I think to very a lot of Mexican households. It's like a like tortilla. There was always tortillas in the middle of the table and there was always nopales salad or grilled nopales or sopa de nopales or a different kind of ensalada de nopales. There was always something, there was always a vegetable and we juiced because it was just a normal thing and nopales and we were used to that like gulp of, you know, that, I don't know how you like, I don't know, it's not mucus, but how do you say it in English? Of it's when like you have viscous. Aloe. It's yeah. a viscous coating yes. in your throat. We were just, that was normal to us. And nopales you will see in every mercado, street markets, indoor markets, grocery stores. You see it on the side of the road. Backyards have nopales everywhere. You know, you're in the middle of the city and then you're driving in this highway and then you see nopales all along the side. So it is a vegetable that you're repeatedly going to see and hear about. You see the Mexican flag? There they are. We talk about entrepreneurship. I think one thing very distinctive about nopales is this, you figure it out, right? So if you put a nopal in your backyard, it'll figure it out. It'll figure it'll it find out. A I mean, not in Chicago, maybe during winter time, <laughs> right? But winter in, time. you know, Right. In in heat conditions, it'll find a way. It'll figure it out. So it was, a, and I remember even a story during story time, there was a story about nopales and we all learned about the, the legend around nopales and the Aztec civilization and how these were discovered and how this became a cultural element of Mexico. So it is, we can't talk about Mexican food and Mexican culture without talking about nopales. Because it is, it is so connected. And that was the reason why I wanted to create a product based from nopales. There was, a, you know, there was another reason, and I know we'll get to that. But that was also the reason of what you just said at the beginning. Traes el nopal en la frente. You're as Mexican or more Mex as el nopal. 
how can I wanted the nopal to be up front and center for the packaging for the rebrand that we did because when I started the business it was a very different packaging it looked very different but then when when I started you know talking about the vision and the mission and what we wanted to communicate to the consumer and what I wanted them to know about the product the first thing was nopales are front and center visually front and center yeah, absolutely. And so let's let's talk about that a little bit more about the creation of the actual Nemi snack. It's a uh, a, a small. You had a specific name for them when we talked uh, before this interview, but the way I would say it is like a mini churro. And I know churros can also mean the sweet delicacies we have yeah. in Mexico, but like a a mini churro snack that's like savory, and you have some that are chipotle, lime. You have also a sweet one, actually, too. But I'm yes. I'm curious as to how the idea came from, like, okay, we have a full-fledged nopal, and I'm used to having nopales grilled and in salads and in soups, to, like, let's dehydrate it and put it in this crunchy snack. Where did that concept come from? Where it all started when I moved here from Mexico City. And como buena mexicana, I came to Chicago, and I went to the grocery store to look for Mexican food and Mexican products. And it was a Whole Foods at the time. And I went into this so-called ethnic aisle. And I first I saw all these Latino and Mexican-inspired brands that were showcasing Mexican cultura in a very stereotypical way. So a lot of them showcasing women cooking on the front of the packaging, stereotypes, a lot of sombreros. I remember even seeing like Cabandido, like a... I was wearing a vest of bullets, like a bullet vest mm. on the front of the packaging. A lot of them using artificial ingredients. And I left there feeling unrepresented. I went to the produce section and I saw nopales from the distance. And I got so excited because I thought, I'm going to make nopales salad for dinner. And it's going to remind me of home. So I went and I was about to grab the nopales and they had spikes. And I thought, nobody's going to buy an intimidating looking vegetable if they don't know how to clean it how to cook it. So, and I thought probably most people don't. I wouldn't even, if you've seen nopales in Mexico, they're already cleaned. We don't even, yeah. unless you're taking them from the penca, from the plant, the nopalera, that you clean them. But usually when you find them at the grocery store or in El Mercado, they they're don't have spikes or, or, or sometimes they sell it in packages where it's already cubed for you chopped. or diced. Even yeah. chopped, exactly. So already diced in little plastic bags and they're ready for whatever you want to cook with them. So I saw that and that was even, I left there thinking, nobody is going to buy nopales. This is just, they're just going to go to waste. Nobody's going to know about nopales. Nobody's going to buy nopales. And that stayed in the back of my mind. At the time, I didn't start the business. At the time, I was just doing my legal career, thinking that I'm going to be an attorney all my life. I don't have a business background. I'm not capable of starting a business. So at the time, I didn't do anything with that. But it kept showing up. You know how the, sometimes there's these ideas that keep keep coming to you. And they mm -hmm. present it in different ways, but they keep coming to you. And it, this idea kept coming back to me. And, and then one day I thought, in a way, Nopales, because of uh, its sustainability, there's so much to do with it. Mm -hmm. And there's it's it's a way of, it's such a gift from Earth because... It takes care of the land. It doesn't ask for much, right? But it gives so much. And we're transitioning towards that space because our food system is not sustainable. Change. Exactly. Everything that we've been doing for the past years 
it's just not sustainable. So there is a need for us to transition how we eat, the way we eat, what are we eating, and what are the practices behind those the, the farming that we're doing and the foods that we're putting in our mouth. So, and then I thought, you know, nopales, they're bitter. They're viscous, they're slimy, they're, so I, it's going to be difficult for me to say, hey, do you want to try this slimy, viscous, bitter vegetable? Or how can I change it and present it in a way that is fun, that is snackable? Mm-hmm. You know, we need to take, get rid of that bitterness. Um, and that, that, that took a process, right? I, mean, I was thinking in Mexico, so you, we find nopales in different ways. You find mm-hmm. nopales in tortillas, in chips, powdered nopales that you put in your smoothie, you mix it with your yogurt. There's so mm. many, because it's been, we're so familiar with that crop. It's presented in many different ways and it can be consumed many different ways. So that's when I started thinking, how can I share it? If it's someone who doesn't know or who's tried it, but remembers the viscosity of it or remembers, uh, I wasn't a fan of the slime and I was mm-hmm. separating and I saw the slime come from it. How can I present it in just a way that is fun to eat? And if I'm already educating the consumers, some consumers about nopales, I need to make a very good and delicious product so that it's easier to get to them. So that's how it started when it came to the inspiration behind it. I'm just thinking nopales. My mission really was to how could I create a product to elevate Mexican cultura in the U.S. through two things, a high quality product. And we've, we, you know, we've talked about this before, not because it's Mexican, it means it's low quality or it's made with artificial ingredients or it's cheap. Or it's cheap, and yeah, big one, big with asterisk sombrero, on that Right, sombrero free branding. So Mexico, it's such a rich and vibrant and colorful culture. And there's so much diversity. And I didn't see that diversity showcased in any of the products that I was seeing or that richness or the, the, the colorfulness I, I did see, but rooted in stereotypes. Mm-hmm. So how can I move away from those stereotypes and create something that is an elevated version of this modern, vibrant, cool Mexico that I know? Yeah. And that it is. And it sounds like you were looking specifically at like big name brands that are not just frequented by Latinos, but like Americans at large. Right. Because we're we're talking about living in a city like Chicago, where like I I spent like about eight years in New York. And man, did I struggle to find Mexican food of the quality that we have here in Chicago. Yes. Um, But I will say like we have the we have the very like. Mexican Midwest brands here, right? Like we have in, 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 in Pilsen, we have the tortillas, the papocatepil, we have the, yeah. you know, the, the, you know, Milagro, unfortunate for their worker practices, not a fan yes. of that, but we have that as well. We have Queso Supremo, yes. you know, we have all these brands, but when it comes to this bigger, broader reach and mainstream reach in these, in these stores, I totally see what you're saying about the ethnic aisle and these stereotypical representations and without the education on something like a prickly a prickly leaf like without the the explanation of how it is that we can use it and how tasty it can be I can see how like that might be difficult to muster for people who don't know what it is or even people who are beyond first generation didn't grow up with it yes and I think with that also this 
gift slash pressure, however we want to look at it, or an opportunity to say, it needs to be a very good product. It needs to be done with high quality ingredients. At the moment, I, I'm self-funded. So I didn't have any background in CPG, mm-hmm. chemistry, or anything that sometimes you see in the food and beverage industry. So my sister helped me create a packaging. The packaging doesn't look anything like what it looks right now, but I knew I needed to start somewhere. And that somewhere meant the place where I was at at that moment with a DIY packaging, a DIY website, and start gathering data from consumers on what they liked on the packaging, what they liked about the product, what resonated with them, and what didn't. And a lot of things were wrong about that packaging. And the formula I've changed a lot. But I had a clear vision of the mission and the way that I wanted conducted business. I had the opportunity to work with, when I did immigration law, a lot of the clients that I worked with were former farmers that were forced to leave their home countries because of predatory farming practices. I worked with a lot of women that went through domestic violence, that were here seeking trafficking visas, U visas. And that molded also the values and the kind of business that I wanted to create, where I think when you have a business, in my case, a food business, I have the opportunity to satisfy more than a food craving. What do I want to do with that opportunity? So there were two things. I want to go and work directly with farmers in Mexico. It takes time to do that. But again, what are your values and what are your non-negotiables with anything, with a relationship, with your business, with a job, with whatever you're doing in your life? And as a Latina, I want to create those opportunities that sometimes... I had a hard time seeing for myself Mm. or being. So that means working with other Latinas and hopefully, in a way, trying to leave this space in a better position that I found it. I don't do it by myself. I'm not alone. Even though I'm solo founder, there's nothing about this business that, that I've done by myself in any way. And I stress that because we cannot do anything by ourselves, that community support, that support system that you need to have starting from yourself, because the first one to show up for myself is myself, but then everything else and the amount of help that I received and the amount of help that I've asked for, because also knowing a lot of times we hear, well, I don't have the background, so I'm not capable. I don't have money, so I can't do this. Those, yes, I, those are very valid reasons not to start something. But I remember thinking, you know, I'm just going to start. I still had my full-time job and I kept my full-time job until a month ago. I'm just going to start. And it started in my kitchen, mixing up ingredients, getting flowers, getting seasonings, thinking about my mom's salsa de chipotle and thinking, how can I recreate that flavor? Mm-hmm. Y hacer un sabor chipotle. How can I recreate the lime snacks that we have all the time. So it really started with very basic things, feeling that I wasn't capable, but doing things that started making me feel capable. I love that. That's such a great thing to say, to not let the story end at, oh, I don't have the skills now, so therefore I'm not capable. But like you start behaving like you could be capable Mm -hmm. and earn earn those skills. Now, you've mentioned so many things that I want to kind of 
poke at and learn more about. And I think one of them is definitely your background in law. Mm-hmm. Um, you said you've worked with people, with farmers uh, who were in underprivileged situations, and that definitely spoke to your values. Um, and I want to better understand with you only having left your job um, about a month ago, which I think was yes. also in this in this sector of working with uh, families that are less privileged. Uh, and and let me let me pull that up because I was looking at your at your LinkedIn earlier and I was like, wow, you have a stacked resume, Regina. You were at the direct the Heartland Alliance International organization as director of grant compliance most recently, and so you're still very invested in these community issues, things that very much seem to speak to your values. And so I want to know, how did you make the decision to keep your job while building this? And then when did you know it was time to step away and dedicate a full time plus to being an entrepreneur? Yes. When I started the business, I started it as a side hustle at the time and very, you know, fully passionate about what I was doing and committed also with the safety net that I had a full time job. And at the time I thought, I'll just start. I didn't, at the moment I didn't think about, I didn't have the big dreams that I have right now for the company because there were so many things that I didn't know. And again, going back to that capability thing that we talked about at the time, I was figuring out so many things that I didn't know anything about the industry and about branding and about marketing and about what I was doing, that I was just fully immersed in in learning, learning as much as I could and just taking it day by day. I didn't want to get distracted by everything else I was in the future. At the moment, I didn't go that far. And I thought, I'll just start this. I'll see where it takes me. I'll see how it goes. And then I'll figure it out. And then within one year, and then the next year, I thought, I love this. I love everything about this. There's so many opportunities that I can do with a business that are connected with the human rights work that I was doing in my full-time job. Because working with the farmers, again, just thinking about the business as an opportunity. And I think a good business should always be good to the community. However, we can do it in whatever space we are, but just thinking about that community element. And I'm not talking only about consumers, but I'm talking about your team, the resources that you use, the sustainability practices, etc. So really creating this ecosystem of the way that I envisioned a business and NEMI. And then I think when you again, talking about that resilience and, and thinking about Latinos and, and non-Latinos entrepreneurs of, we just keep showing up and figuring it out. So you organized in a way and then you reorganize differently because things change. And then there was a moment when I just couldn't continue reorganizing and doing things differently and figuring out how can I get more minutes and more hours in the day. I always knew that having a full-time job and pretty much a full-time business was not sustainable. I knew that. And I do prioritize self-care. So there were some instances where I felt it a little bit physically and mentally. And that was always, I have a lot of respect whenever I see those feelings or limitations show up and I feel them. Um, But I I, I thought, you know, I've been an attorney for such a long time. We have a hard time moving away from what we think identifies us. And our professional life and our job plays such a big role in our identity. So there were two things that 
that I struggled with or that took time to digest. One is I know that I want to leave my full-time because I want to be full-time in NEMI, but I've identified as this person for such a long time. And I like that identity and I like the work that I do. And I like this person. Who am I going to be when I don't have that? So that took me some time. And I didn't realize that one of my fears about not leaving my full time was that. And it took me about six months to work with that. And the second was, I know that I'm getting to a point and I'm feeling it. And there is a lot of clues that I'm seeing of, I'm going to have a breakdown if I don't do something. And I'm not going to be 100% sure that I, that about leaving. We, we say, no doy paso sin chancla. I don't continue walking without a chancla. No, and that chancla oh, is your security yeah. blanket. Being Something prepared. protecting you. Exactly. Yeah. Being prepared. So, and in a way I was thinking, you know, again, I have nothing to lose. I'm not falling into something that doesn't exist. I'm not creating something from zero, even though in a way I feel like I'm just starting the business. But I want to do this. Uh, of course, there's a risk involved, but I want to do this. And I don't spend a lot of energy and time or space in the word failure. But I even thought, if it doesn't work out, no pasa nada. I'm going to continue showing up. I'm going to stand up again and create something. Lo mismo, different, it doesn't matter. My mindset is not there. My mindset is still, what is it that I need to do? What is it that I need to focus on? And it was also a moment where I was in this, for, how do you say, fork in the road, why yeah yeah you've reached up a point a point yeah. where you have to just choose a path yeah i really i really was in that point where I, there was there was two ways of doing it i could continue having my full-time job and doing things not the way that i wanted to not fully immersed or i could just fully focus on what i was doing and show up for myself and i also this part of self-worth of you know i deserve really living this experience and committing myself to the business. So those were two things that really helped me take, make the decision along with a lot of people, mentors, advisors, friends that supported me and believing in me and saying, you're ready for this. You can do this. But the identity was a big one for me. Yeah. This is such a big conversation and I think a lot of people actually really do go through that, especially making the pivot from you've had this career for a very long time. It's a part of your identity. Yeah. What have you leaned into it as, as who you identify in this time of transition where you are building something new and it's not like you don't have the safety net of an established institution per se? Um, how are you redefining who you are? Well, I think it was this realization during the process of redefining myself and thinking, I am a whole person, fully capable and worthy regardless of the job that I have regardless of if I'm a business owner or not a business owner, if I'm an attorney or not a practicing attorney, if I'm doing human rights at a human rights organization. And it was also working with this mental and social constructions and limitations of, wait, you can do human rights anywhere you are. You experience the human rights work that I was doing at home with the people that I work with, even with consumers, right? Like that empathy of hearing them out 
trying to understand an experience, even if you didn't go through that experience and caring about the people that you're working with, the product you're making, I can actually do that anywhere I am. And not because I am not working at the nonprofit or doing similar work in a formal setting with a full-time nine to five job does not mean that I'm less off or more off. I'm this whole unique person, regardless of that. That didn't come from one day to the next. It was a practice that I did every day of like really going in and thinking and asking myself, why haven't, haven't I made a decision? What am I afraid of? Why am I afraid of this? E- like even money, right? Like money, it's such a huge conversation. I, and, and we have this all you know, preconceived wrong ideas about money of, but if I don't make a salary and, and I live with my partner and my partner has a full-time job and I also had that safety net. And there were a lot of conversations that we had together about, about money because I, right, like I'm, I'm, I'm taking a salary from the business, but it's an up and down all the time and, and, and you hope for the best. But with entrepreneurship, there are a lot of external circumstances that affect your cash flow. So just really making peace with the concept of money and this idea of if I'm not making the same amount of money every month or if I'm not creating this, then not associating my value and my recognition and my validity to that idea. But that took time. This is such an important conversation. And I, I was speaking with a friend just the other day about how even Oprah has spoken on this, on not associating um, validation from external sources, whether it's awards, job titles, mm-hmm. other people's compliments, um, as your source of self-worth. Because if you're trailblazing something new, you're going to go through so many instances where you're not going to have that external validation. And so this, mm-hmm. this is, I think, is such an important conversation within the realm of entrepreneurship. I do want to uh, also uh, kind of switch to talking about Nemi, the snack itself. And you talked a little mm-hmm. bit about making the recipe in your kitchen, recalling on your yes. mom's chipotle sauce. And I want to talk about producing at scale because I've mm-hmm. spoken with a few founders now in the CPG space across the US. And something that folks have mentioned is that that recipe is subject to change when you start scaling it due yes. to so many factors um, and just the the, the practicality of, of, of scaling it. And so did you find that you needed to pivot on your recipe? It sounds like you needed to pivot on your branding, but how did you know what you could compromise on in that recipe and what was like a non-negotiable? Like, hey, this is going to compromise the integrity of my product. I can't change this. Yes. At the beginning, I knew which were the ingredients that I did not want in my product. So I knew that I didn't want any artificial colors. I knew that I didn't want preservatives. And and it started nothing glamorous. It started in my kitchen, mixing ingredients. The snacks, we call them in Mexico churritos. I couldn't name them churritos because people here associated churro with a sweet, the sweet you know, version of a, of a churro. Exactly. The pastry churro. And it's a very common format snack in Mexico City. And I wanted to recreate that, but the healthy version of that. So I knew that, you know, the original version is fried corn or fried wheat. But I had experience working with 
amaranth and experience, I mean eating it and cooking with it. Uh, but in Mexico, amaranth is also a staple crop. And there are a lot of amaranth farmers in Mexico, and we see it in savory, sweet. Again, you also find it in every grocery store and every mercado. So I knew I wanted to be a nutritionally dense product. So at the, at the time, I thought, I want to put in amaranth, nopales. I wanted to have protein, so I started experimenting with different kinds of proteins, like pea protein powder, chickpea flour, with different things, chia seeds, linaza. And again, just thinking about ingredients that have a cultural significance. So chia is also a food of the Aztecs too, la chia and the Incas as well. Amaranto and so, so as is well. amaranth. So, you know, I didn't know this, but uh, amaranth was very commonly used by the Mayans. And I had no idea yes. that Spanish conquistadors at some point had like outlawed it because yes, of the because spiritual connection. Exactly, because they used to make spiritual figures. They would mold their gods with amaranto and honey. And at the time, it was blood, no, with their rituals. But And now, even you see during Dia de Muertos, the calaveras, in Mexico, in mercados, you see amaranth calaveras. We call them alegrías, happiness dessert, because it's amaranth, puffed amaranth mixed with honey. And we still make figures out of that mixture. But at the time, it was outlawed. But today... It's actually even part of the canasta básica. I don't know how you say that in English. The, the government provides uh, food to people under a certain income. So it's oil, pasta, some canned food items. And, that comes and in amaranto is part of that basket. Um, so thinking about this ingredient, about I did not want to have. And then I went to Mexico to La Feria del Amaranto to start looking for producers because I knew that I had a full-time job I was going to start a business I didn't want to make the product myself because I was I knew that I was going to be too much so I thought if I'm already going to work with the farmers I want to find a co-packer which is a company that manufactures your product in Mexico I want everything to be made in Mexico because to me at the time that made financial sense and it was actually easier So I went to La Feria del Amaranto that happens once a year in Mexico City. And I started talking to producers. I started talking to farmers, co-backers. And then, you know, one connection takes you to another, to another, to another. And I ended up finding a co-backer that could scale the recipe. I wanted to find a co-backer that knew how to make churritos because it's a specific machine. It's a process. And that's where it started. I had no idea at the time how to scale it. No idea. So it was a constant testing and testing and recreating. I remember talking to the seasonings company and telling them, I want a seasonings, a seasoning that tastes like this with this flavor profile. But they were like, wait, but your consumers, when they eat it, their tongue is not going to turn red. Their fingers are not going to become red. And I'm like, that's exactly what I don't want. I don't want red number 40. I don't want any artificial colors or any flavor enhancers artificial flavor enhancers and they were like ah it's not gonna sell and I'm like there is a market that is not looking for that kind of product a lot of them didn't want to work with me or they wanted to but they were like great but then the minimum is three tons and I couldn't do that at the beginning so it was difficult to find also the right partner the partner that was willing to go outside of the comfort zone because they were not used to that 
and try something different. And that's still a constant. If I have to switch suppliers, I feel like I start from zero of why I'm doing this, why we're not using artificial, and not only the ingredient, but also I like working with suppliers that have women in leadership positions, that are that women are part of their growth path. And I, you can tell right away when I ask them, can I talk to them? Like, oh, but they know they're not here and they can't keep you, you know, kind of not really giving you a straight answer. You know, since the beginning, how their structure works, but but you need a good partner that is willing to, again, go outside of that comfort zone, curious about trying different ingredients, trying different things. And we're, I would say that right now we're not changing it that much, but for the first two two and a half years, there was a lot of changing on the formula, a little bit of this, less than this, or sometimes we would get, for example, a spirulina that was more concentrated than another one. And I remember once I got a batch and I opened it and it smelled like fish. It smelled like the ocean. And I was like, oh my God, oh, no, <laughs> this is just like going to a fish market. And no, no, we can't do this. And it was because the spirulina when we first tested it in a smaller batch, it worked, but in a bigger match, batch, it didn't work. So there's a lot, you know, there's a learning process along the way, and it's a constant learning process with everything about entrepreneurship. But I think that's also what's fascinating, this constant changing. It's always changing and challenges never leave. They just change. And somehow I like that. I, this is this is really great to hear, like the process behind like having to change it, finding the right partner, like you said, that's willing to build with you. And Regina, this has been so lovely learning about you building Nemi Snacks, about you really catering to an audience, not just me- Mexicanos, but even beyond Mexicanos, people who are curious um, and, and with your branding as well and the journey there. I want you to tell us what your biggest money learning has been in building Nemi Snacks. You started talking a little bit about it earlier and I got really excited, but talk to us about what are some of the things you've uncovered in the process. That is such a good question. And I really appreciate you asking that because I think as founders, as Latina founders, we need to talk more about money for our own good and everyone else's good. And I realized that limitations are just a result of my imagination And these limitations are usually self-imposed by social constructions and beliefs that don't serve me anymore. And there was a moment where I thought, if I can imagine and believe a space of scarcity and believe those limitations, I can also switch my mindset and start believing a space of abundance, of unlimited creation. And I, that's how I see money now. I think there's this it's it's unlimited. And the moment that I think of money as a specific quantity, right? Like if I say, I want to make a certain amount of money next month from sales, I'm already limiting myself to that. So I didn't start, I, I started just shifting my mindset and thinking all these beliefs about limitations, about seeing the data, right? And the data is still there of this disparity between, you know, salaries and female entrepreneurs and Latina entrepreneurs getting so little out of that venture capital, avail, you know, funds availability in the venture capital space for our businesses. But still, we are the ones that are the fastest growing in the industry in the United States. The data is still there, but and, and we are part of that data. We are the creators and the changers 
of that number. But really thinking of, you know, it's, it's unlimited. And I, and, and I, I need to just, and I keep repeating that to myself because it's very easy to get into the space of limitations and all this beliefs that we, we, it's a constant of recreating and relearning whatever we want. But I, I, I see, you know, th- that money question to me is now, it's now coming from a space of, of abundance, of thinking, hay para todos, hay para todas. Like even when there's a new business working with nopales, that's amazing. There's another business working on educating about nopales. To me, that's such an amazing thing. So, and it goes with that, right? Like of this, this connecting with, um, where there's space for everyone and there is money for everyone. How can we be in that space? Because I don't think it's how can we get to it, right? Like as a physical thing, of course it is a physical thing. But how can I get to the space where I am not operating from a space of scarcity, which I did while I had my full-time job because I didn't have enough time. I only had three hours for this, two hours for that. I can only do this. I can only achieve that. Just what can I do? to flip that mindset and just actually not even thinking about perseguir la chuleta, going after after it. But I'm, I don't know how to explain this, pero... Well, it makes sense when, because you're creating the space. Sí. You're not, you're not, it's not like you're trying to knock on the door and ask for permission to get into the space. You are actually... I don't know. Making it. Making and so it. And if there was a it. table where my seat was not there... I'm going to bring my chair and we're going to have this conversation and not always, I didn't always bring my chair with full confidence of, no, it was that practice of I'm going to do it until I'm fully in that space. And I feel fully comfortable in that space and worthy of that space. At the beginning, I didn't one time I was doing a pitch and I'll just close the question with this. I was doing a pitch and I was so scared. And I felt so insecure about it because a lot of different reasons. Reasons, they're more than enough always of not to do something. And I remember thinking, and somebody told me, when you're in that position, think about someone you admire, you respect, you look up to, and try to embody that space, that person or personality. And it's about how you stand up and my tone of voice and how I'm right. Like it's about a physical thing and it's a mindset thing. And how can I embody that? And then you embody yourself. But it's that initial to me, that little trick, whatever tricks we want to use that help us become to be what we want to be and create what we want to create. But it was also this space of I'm not chasing the money. It's flowing. And I know that as long as I continue creating and thinking this way and focusing my attention on creating this, it stops becoming a space where I'm constantly chasing it, but it's actually the other way around. And it's not easy. And it's something that I remind myself every time. And look, there, there's lows, right? There's days where it's a really low, low, low day. And I'm like, well, what am I doing this? This is I'm just a failure. Que hago? But then I, tr- I just catch myself and I go back to this space and like, mijita, como el nopal, párate. Como el nopal, there's, párate and there's abundance, parate. even in the driest keep, of times. Exacto. Yeah. Keep showing up for yourself. Keep, stand up, keep figuring out, keep showing up. And there's a, a constant beautiful. reminder. 
Beautiful, beautiful note to end on. Thank you so much, Regina, for your time, for your wisdom, your words. I am so excited Thank to see you. you continue to grow and to see you in these Chicago events. I know we'll both be out here in these entrepreneurship sí. events. Y espero verte por acá muy pronto y en, hasta en más tiendas and wishing you all of the best and success in your endeavors. Lian, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for creating this space. I, I listen to your podcast. I listen to, I love your episodes, the people that you interview. And I'm not saying that to myself. I'm saying that because thank you for helping us amplify our message. And we share this space of creating outlets so that our voices can be heard louder. And you're doing that. So I really appreciate being a guest here and sharing your space with me. Thank you, Regina. And where can folks find NEMI online? Our website is www.neminative.com and our Instagram is NEMI Snacks. Thank you, mi gente, for joining us this week on Moneda Moves. Before you go, please make sure to hit follow on this podcast so you can receive new episodes right when they are released. You can follow right now in the app you're using to listen to this podcast. Also, continue keeping cuentas and keeping tabs on our Latinx community and money moves via our free newsletter written by yours truly at monedamoves.substack.com. That's monedamoves.substack.com. I'll see you there. Hasta la próxima.